Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. I don't know why it feels like we haven't recorded in a long time. Because, I don't know, why does it feel like that? <laughs> I don't know. It's like not true. <laughs> yeah, we just recorded last week. It's, I, I guess it's been a long week. It has been a long week, I guess. Um, I was waiting to tell you on the podcast that um, we got our reopening plan for school and I'm going back full time. Wow. Do you have to follow all the safety precautions still or i think that we have to wear masks probably but like we haven't heard anything else but like k through pre-k through five is going back full time oh well i've been shopping on etsy a lot and you'll be glad to know that etsy is prepared for that they make masks with like the little crayon decal and you can have your name printed in there Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> oh, I can't yeah. wait to get a million of them. <laughs> you should get one with each kid's name on it, and then they won't trade their masks. Because oh. I saw a meme on Facebook saying, like, yeah. some kid's going to go to school with a Paw Patrol mask, and then he's going to come home with a Spider-Man mask because he yep. traded, and yep. school's going to shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's like if there's higher than 5% of people in the county with covid we have to shut down oh i thought you were gonna say in the school like higher than five percent with covid in the school i'm gonna say if there's somebody in the school we probably will shut down i don't have no idea i mean that makes the most sense how are you gonna make sure that everybody else in the school is safe if like one person like say the janitor got it everybody's possibly infected then so yeah Uh, yeah i guess it depends on who gets it but it's insane so yeah i can't wait all right I kind of want to jump right in. I'm excited. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So this case at the time was referred to as the crime of the century. It received national media coverage and was so close to being the perfect crime. Decades later, people are still fascinated by this case. It has been the subject of books, documentaries, and even a musical called Thrill Me, (laughs) written by Stephen Dolgenoff. It's a story about a kidnapping, a murder, and two possible lovers. You've already seen the title, but we are talking about the case of Leopold and Loeb. What is our time period? Give me, set the scene. What are we, where are Um, we? The 1920s. Ooh, okay. I'm so excited. Yes, in Chicago. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) So because of the name of the musical, our drink today is going to appropriately be called The Quick Thrill, which I found on CocktailBuilder.com, one of my favorite websites. (laughs) So what you're going to do is take one fourth ounce of dark rum, which is pretty much just like a splash of rum, three ounces of red wine and three ounces of Coke. And you stir it up and enjoy. What? Isn't that interesting? (laughs) That's really interesting. I've heard of people mixing red wine and Coke before. I didn't know. But I mean, it's just like a splash of rum. I honestly have not made it yet. I'm going to be making it later tonight. Okay, I've never heard will... of people mixing red wine with Coke. I know that in It's Always Sunny, they drink red wine out of Coke cans. So they oh, can really? drink red wine wherever they want. 
<laughs> and they think it's so cool too. They're like, look, it's like hidden. It's like okay, but their lips are all red. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never heard of That's them funny. mixing it. That's so odd. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I haven't tried it yet. So I guess stay tuned to the Instagram. I'll be posting later. So if you're listening to this now, you can go head over to the Instagram. I'll tell you if it's any good. Does that make sense? Because <laughs> I guess it will be up then. All yeah. right. <laughs> so are you ready for the case? Drink up, dead drunkies. Or Ooh. don't, depending on how it tastes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Consult <laughs> the Instagram before you drink up. <laughs> At Dead Drunk Crime. <laughs> Anywho. So before I get started, I want to note that a lot of the information I got was from Nina Barrett, who's the author of The Leopold and Loeb Files, an intimate look at one of America's most infamous crimes. She also discussed this case at length in a video that will be linked on our website. Something interesting that she said before she started talking about the case that I wanted to also mention and is that... In 1924, when this case took place, files from cases were normally discarded after the trial was over. There were no online databases to store these files, and you can imagine how much room it would have taken to like keep all of the files if they were stored somewhere for every case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they don't have enough space for that. <laughs> right, exactly. However, because of how notorious this crime was, and notorious is the word that Nina Barrett actually used as well, People that were involved actually ended up walking away with pieces of the files and like evidence from the case, which is the reason why so many of them are preserved today. That's actually a really good thing, but weird. Like it's strange yeah. that you walked away with a piece of a trial, like an actor yeah. walking off set with a prop that they're stealing. <laughs> right. But it's like, oh, I want a piece of like this case is going to go down in history and going to be talked about for so many years. I want a piece of it. And then that's kind of how we have so much of so did people give it back or are people just sharing the information online and they I have just no have idea. the file in their house because that would be a really cool thing if your grandpa I was like look i stole it well it wouldn't be you know look i have this <laughs> my dad yeah, stole i think this. that i think that nina bear before she wrote her book was able to get her hands on a lot of it that's and that's great. kind of how it yeah so hmm <clears throat> On May 21st of 1924, 14-year-old Bobby Franks went missing from his neighborhood in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago, which is actually just a block from the Obama house. Ooh. I think the neighborhood is actually called like Kenwood, but they also call it the Hyde Park area. Bobby would normally walk home from school, which was just three blocks away from his home. Reportedly, Bobby stopped to play baseball with some of his friends that day, leaving for the short walk home around 5 p.m. His parents became increasingly worried when he did not arrive home for dinner and became far more worried when they received a phone call later that night from a man claiming that Bobby had indeed been kidnapped. The man told them that in the morning they would receive further instructions. The next morning around 8.30 a.m., a letter arrived at the Franks mansion. It read, Dear Sir, As you no doubt know by this time, your son has been kidnapped. Allow us to assure you that he is at present well and safe. You need fear no physical harm for him, provided you live up carefully to the following instructions and such others you will receive by future communications. Should you, however, disobey any of our instructions, even slightly, his death will be the penalty. Number one, for obvious reasons, make absolutely no attempt to communicate with either the police authorities or any private agency. Should you already have communicated with the police, allow them to continue their investigations, but do not mention this letter. 
Number two, secure before noon today $10,000. This money must be composed entirely of old bills of the following denominations. $2,000 in $20 bills, $8,000 in $50 bills. The money must be old. Any attempt to include new or marked bills will render the entire venture futile. Number three. The money should be placed in a large cigar box or, if this is impossible, in a heavy cardboard box securely closed and wrapped in white paper. The wrapping paper should be sealed at all openings with sealing wax. Number four, have the money with you prepared as directed above and remain at home after 1 o'clock p.m. See that the telephone is not in use. You will receive a future communication instructing you as to your future course. As a final word of warning, this is a strictly commercial proposition and we are prepared to put our threat into execution should we have reasonable grounds to believe that you have committed an infraction of the above instructions. However, you should carefully follow out our instructions to the letter. We can assure you that your son will be safely returned to you within six hours of our receipt of the money. Yours truly, George Johnson. Wow. Do you have any thoughts? Those were some I... intricate instructions. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. And how is he supposed to do that? He walks into a bank and goes, um, hey, I would like um, $2,020 bills, uh, but they all have to be old. Like, go in the back, go in the way back, get, like, <laughs> yeah, old know. ones. Like, it's just a, so strange. That's going to raise mm-hmm. alarm bells in and of itself. Right. So when I first looked at the letter, I immediately thought two things. Number one is that that's a really long ransom note. Yeah. Just like the Ramsey's ransom note. It was it, that yeah. was too long. This seems longer. This is, yeah. <laughs> and number two, it's very well written. Yeah. It's very professional. It sounds it's like, like literary get, almost. Yeah. Something yeah. Something you'd get in an email. Right. If from you like were me and worked at a higher institution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so whoever wrote this note probably has not done something like this before because of how, like, long and drawn out it is. You know what I mean? And it's probably very well educated due to the vocabulary that they used. Usually when I picture a ransom note, I picture, like, things pieced together haphazardly, even, like, magazine clippings with, like, the different yeah. letters. You know what I mean? <laughs> but And they usually have, like, I don't know if it's, like, a successful ransom note. It probably has, what, a few sentences? Maybe. You don't even really need that. You like, could just that was have excessive. A, yeah, you could just have a few words like, we have your son bring whatever amount of money to here. Right, Time. right. That's it. You didn't need to write an essay, but exactly. you did. Exactly. He's an overachiever as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And very intricate in his details. I, the money thing is still stuck in my head. I just can't believe the old bills only. What I mean, you- I understand like because people have been caught using like marked bills or like the serial numbers are tracked. I don't know. It's it's a really well written re- letter. But to me, I'm just like, wow, that's that's insane. What he's asking for. It's really crazy. Yeah. And But the fact that it sounds so smart is somewhat scarier. Agreed. So being a wealthy family, Bobby's father immediately went to the bank to secure the money needed for his son's safe return. It wasn't really a problem to get the money. Before the kidnappers could send further instructions, though, the Franks family received a call from a morgue near the Indiana border, telling them that they found the body of a young boy and that they believed that boy to be Bobby. 
By the time they actually received the next call, they had already identified the body, and it unfortunately was him. Oh, no. Yeah. Wait, so they never had him? No. <sighs> yeah, it's it's very interesting. And immediately people were like, why would, why would people do this whole elaborate ransom note if they didn't even have Bobby? You know what I mean? If he yeah. was dead the whole time. It doesn't make any sense. So near Bobby's body were only two pieces of physical evidence, one being that Bobby's sock had been removed. He also, like, didn't have any clothes on, but his sock was next to him. Okay. Um, and that didn't really give them that much because it was just, like, his sock, right? It might have had DNA on it. Uh, but the second piece of evidence that was there was a mysterious pair of glasses. Smart people wear glasses. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably him. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it only took 10 days to track the glasses back to the murderer, or in this case, murderers. Ooh, that's not so smart, though. <laughs> mm. The glasses belonged to Nathan Leopold Jr. And not long after tracking him down, did they receive his confession that George Johnson was actually Leopold and his friend Richard Loeb. So I'm, let's start back with Leopold. Nathan Leopold was the son of a wealthy Jewish family and was apparently a child prodigy, speaking his first word at the age of only four months old. At the time of the crime, he had just finished his undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago, and he had plans to attend Harvard Law School in the fall after a summer trip to Europe. He could fluently speak five languages and had received national recognition for his study of birds, specifically the brown-headed cowbird. So yeah. he wrote the letter. But <laughs> <laughs> He's but extremely so smart. If I'm, I don't know how college would work, but so he's around 20 something years old. He's 21 or 22. He's young. He, or, I think he was 19. Okay. I mean, if it sounds like they killed them, but I don't want to assume like, they killed him, but I don't want to assume. So if they didn't, that's just, like, a crime of opportunity. We will see. We <laughs> you're, I love your smug look, like, mm, we're going to get to it. <laughs> so Leopold um, also claimed that he was sexually assaulted by a governess in his house as a child. So that's just kind of like a, a side thing. An added bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, He's really Richard smart, Loeb. and he has tragedy, tragedy in his past. So he could have <laughs> been something really great. I don't yeah. know if it's tragedy. Something bad that happened to him. Trauma. Trauma. That's Childhood the word. trauma. Really smart and trauma. He could have been an artistic genius. Yeah. Or a lawyer, I guess. But mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So Richard Loeb was similarly well off. His father, Albert Henry Loeb, was a lawyer and was also at one time the vice president of Sears. Ooh, good for him. Right? So Built along a successful legacy. <laughs> <laughs> along with having direct access to one of the shittiest department stores of all time. Loeb <laughs> <laughs> <Lobe> graduate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> it's good if you want your department stool to have mediocre tools. <laughs> You could try their own line of mediocre tools. 
You could try Sears. Not sponsored. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Sears, the shittiest department store of all time. <laughs> Did you want cheap tools that won't get the job done? Do you need to walk through the patio section wondering where you are in the store and where the section you wanted to go to is? Try Sears. <laughs> So, yeah, so along with that whole thing, uh, Loeb graduated from the University of Michigan at only 17 years old. So he was even Yay. farther ahead <laughs> of, of um, Leopold. So in he's that younger. Um, he is, I think he's a year younger than Leopold. But, yeah. So both boys grew up in the Kenwood neighborhood of Chicago where Bobby Franks and the Obamas also lived. Although the <laughs> Obamas didn't live there at the time, obviously. Or and did the Obamas, they? they had their house. They, you know. Or did they? I, they might have. I don't know. No, they didn't. But wouldn't it be <laughs> cool if they did? <laughs> if they were down the street, like, oh my gosh, what's happened? <laughs> so Leopold and Loeb did grow up in the same neighborhood and they knew each other as kids. However, they didn't really become close until they were young adults, like after college. Leopold was into philosophy, I guess, more specifically the idea of the philosopher and Lord, forgive me for this. Friedrich Nietzsche? 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 Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche. Oh, that's easier than I thought. And his <laughs> theory of, so very sorry, Ubermenschen? This concept pretty much was the idea that there were supermen out there and that these people had supernatural capabilities and intelligence that placed them above the law. Leopold believed that himself and Richard Loeb were Ubermenschen and therefore that laws and ethics did not apply to them. I love philosophy. <laughs> There's so much shit out there that you could be like, I am Ubermensch. I can't get arrested. Yeah, right? I'll do anything I want today. Like, you can... In my mind, you can philosophize everything. Anything. <laughs> I just philosophize that philosophy. You just philosophized the word philosophize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be in a dictionary soon. It means making shit up. <laughs> <laughs> You're making things up again, Arnold. <laughs> Hey, but that uh, created anyway. a successful mm. alternative to Mormon. <laughs> That's true. The book With of Arnold coming and coming. Prophet Arnold Cunningham. <laughs> oh, uh, <shit>. Anyway, <laughs> so this began as the two committing petty crimes such as vandalism and theft. They actually stole the typewriter that they would later use to write the ransom note. Ah. Okay. But later, their crimes escalated to arson. Unfortunately for them, their crimes didn't get a lot of media attention, which led them to attempt to commit the perfect crime. And that's what they, they called it. Wait, I want to go double back on that typewriter. Okay. Where did they take it from, and how did nobody notice two men struggling to move a typewriter? They stole, They're heavy. They stole it from a fraternity. So... Was everybody drunk and they never? Because I, I would imagine it takes two people for to a carry this thing quickly to carry it quickly. Oh, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, the old ones were really heavy, I think. Yeah, probably. Uh, I have no idea. They were strapping young men. 
I like that initially they probably stole it just for shits and gigs, but then they were like, oh, we can use it. Yes. Oh, we it have all a comes full right circle. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Everything was a piece for the perfect crime. Oh, yes. Dun, 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 dun. So Leopold and Loeb spent months planning their perfect crime. They acquired the weapon of choice, which was a chisel, as well as plan for how they would dispose of the body and how they would throw the detectives off their trail, which was eventually the ransom note. The only thing left to decide was who their victim would be. Loeb suggested that they search at his old elementary school for young boys that would be easy to coerce and overpower, which makes sense. It was Loeb who decided on Bobby Franks, his second cousin and across-the-street neighbor, who he knew quite well, or at least well enough to convince him to get in the car with them. Oh, my God. On May 21st, 1924, Nathan Leopold rented a car under the name Morton D. Ballard. Then they found Bobby walking home and offered him a ride. At first, Bobby politely declined the ride, seeing as it was only two more blocks to get to his house. Loeb then decided to talk to him about tennis because the two had played tennis together a few times. Loeb told Bobby he had some questions about the racket he used, and so Bobby eventually got in the car. I love crimes that took place in, like, long ago in the 20s and the 1800s and all that shit because they could come up with any name they wanted i know right and then they rented a carriage under the name maureen gunderson like who who is that i don't know but you can morton you can call yourself whatever you like what the hell yeah i love that and yeah it's elaborate you add the d what if somebody asked you what the d stands for um dylan (laughs) there you go (laughs) i was gonna say detective (laughs) detective Dumbass Ballard. Dumbass Ballard. (laughs) So the story of exactly what happened is a little fuzzy depending on who you ask. The gist of what occurred once Bobby got into the car is that Leopold got behind the wheel with Bobby in the passenger seat and that Loeb sat behind him. Um, But depending on who you ask, the two could be switched. Loeb could be driving and Leopold could be in the back seat. Oh, I'm assuming they told the same story just with that detail switched because one of them is about to murder. Okay. So in this case with Leopold driving and Loeb in the backseat, which is what is usually um, accepted, but, and we'll get into why later um, Loeb struck Bobby from behind in the back of the head with the chisel that they had bought just for this perfect crime. Loeb struck Bobby several times before dragging him into the backseat where they gagged him and then let him die. Leopold and Loeb then put Bobby on the floorboard so that he could not be seen and drove to their predetermined location, which was Wolf Lake in Hammond, Indiana, 25 miles south of Chicago. Okay. Once it was dark, the pair removed Bobby's clothes and placed his body in a culvert. And I didn't know what a culvert was, (laughs) so I gave it a goog. And if you're like me and didn't know what a culvert was, it's like one of those pipes that you sometimes find near bodies of water that allows for the water to flow under like a railroad or a street like one of those pipes that it's like a pipe going through a hill basically for new paltz people if you're listening um there's one like right near the rail trail in new paltz so after placing bobby's body in the culvert leopold and Loeb wanted to try to disguise him so that it would be harder to identify his body 
To do this, they poured hydrochloric acid on his face and on his genitals. Okay. The gen- would they use his genitals to identify him? That kind of seems like overkill. So, I mean, they poured it on his face, obviously, so that it wouldn't be recognized. And the genitals was apparently to disguise the fact that he was circumcised because that would have made it easier to tie it back to him. Oh. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, Since Leopold and Loeb are Jewish, maybe they weren't circumcised, and so they thought that this would be like a crazy right, thing. Yeah, I think that's, that's the yeah. idea, but it's... It initially just seemed like, what the fuck? Why? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just to it's add just insult to injury, let's pour it here, yeah. too. <laughs> so, the two then drove back to Chicago, made the call to the Franks, burned their bloody clothes, cleaned the car, and then spent the rest of the night playing cards. As I said before, when they found the body of Bobby Franks, the only thing they really had to go on was the pair of glasses left at the scene. Normally, this would have been very hard to trace back to anyone because the prescription was a pretty common one. However, investigators found that this pair of glasses had a very unique hinge, one that had only been purchased by three people in Chicago, one of them being Nathan Leopold. Wow. That's pretty awesome that's so what are the odds exactly (laughs) so leopold had actually been talking very freely to the police and reporters in the days leading up to the glasses discovery he even told one detective quote if i were to murder anybody it would be just such a cocky little son of a bitch as bobby franks all right so i'm not seeing much of the perfect crime in (laughs) it why are you doing that (laughs) like yeah and Loeb knew enough. Loeb knew enough to just like quietly live his life, but Leopold couldn't keep his mouth shut. I think he was just so like proud of what he did. He, I mean, judging from the fact that he's so smart, actually, I was judging him too quickly that he's too smart. He's got to be smart and has achieved a lot, right? He's going to Harvard, so maybe he's been praised all of his life, and now he wants somebody to go. That's really cool. That thing you did, killing that kid. Good job, bud. Like, yeah, I don't know. But they're not going to do it. I don't know why he's looking to the police for approval for his perfect murder. I don't know either. Uh, But needless to say, after he had said things like that, and then they found out that the glasses were his, they immediately brought him in for questioning. Leopold claimed at first that he went birding in that same area a couple weeks before and could have dropped them. But his alibi for the night of the murder wasn't as good. Leopold and Loeb told police that they had taken Leopold's car out, picked up some girls, and then dropped them back off after the night without learning their names. However, Leopold's chauffeur told police he was repairing the Leopold's car that night, and that completely shattered their alibi. Not to mention, not wow. to mention that Leopold and Loeb were definitely lovers and were not picking up any girls. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's the possible yes. lover thing? So I didn't I didn't write a whole lot about it because it's like it doesn't really matter to the case. Um, but they had some letters that they wrote between each other that kind of said it. And I couldn't find anywhere, obviously, because it's an old case of them, like, just flat out mm-hmm. saying it. But according to some people, they did say that, like, yeah, they had sex. I'm imagining the detectives talking to the chauffeur and him going, what? No, I was repairing the car. They couldn't have been driving around. 
What did you say? Picked up girls? <laughs> Not these no, two. They didn't yeah. do that. <laughs> um, Not these yeah, guys. Yeah, I read. I read somewhere that, and I didn't put this in there either because I just I didn't think it was that important to like really talk about. But it is kind of interesting uh, that I think it was Loeb that was like the king, and like Leopold would like act as his like sex slave and like weird shit. And the Ooh, yeah right, <laughs> or it might have been the other, it might have really been the other way up. around. Like, don't quote me on that, but yeah, they called him like King. It could have been either way. Maybe they took turns. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. And then one of them said like, they shared their power, and then they became America's. What is this? The twentieth century? America's twentieth century <laughs> killer couple. Um, also. I read somewhere that I don't know if it was Leopold or Loeb, but I think it was Leopold that said he was like jealous of the water that Loeb would drink because it would become a part of his being. Like it would like go inside of him. That's yeah. a really creepy love. But I, I don't, I think they were just kind of like occasional lovers. I don't know that they were like, that I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I want to be inside of Loeb. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know which one said it. I, ha, Leopold and Loeb are just such like similar <laughs> names that I get it confused, but I'm not sure. Do you think that they would have hyphenated their names and then it would have been Leopold Loeb or Loeb Leopold? Leopold Loeb for sure. So the boys eventually confessed. However, their stories didn't match. As I kind of said before, Leopold claimed that he was driving and that it was Loeb who murdered Franks while Loeb claims the opposite. Later in his book that he ends up writing, Leopold says that Loeb tried to get Leopold to take the fall for him, but he wouldn't, which is why most people think it was indeed Loeb that struck Franks. However, okay. according to an eyewitness named Carl Ulvig, or Ulvig, I have no idea. Um, at one point <laughs> that day, Loeb was driving the car because he saw him driving, but it, of course they could have switched whenever, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, I, I honestly can't decide, and yeah. it doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm maybe a lot of people are buying into Leopold's book because he wrote a book, and but this guy really saw Loeb, or maybe the other way around. But they were both it, involved. It doesn't yeah, matter. It, they both it doesn't matter. It. Yeah, what they do agree on is that both boys say the murder was driven by thrill seeking, and that the idea that they could commit the perfect crime. If it weren't for Leopold dropping his glasses. It might have been. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they had... They didn't have no. anything else to go on. So had he just worn a glasses strap... Right. But knowing what, what Leopold did, like talking to the police so openly, you never know if he would have ended up giving away too much. Right. He right. might have confessed at some point just to get yeah. the fame I don't know. It, or if you can call it that. Infamy, right. I guess, is a better word. So... Both Leopold and Loeb pleaded guilty to the murder of Bobby Franks. They could have received the death penalty. However, Loeb's family hired Clarence Darrow, a very prestigious lawyer, to represent them. It was rumored that they paid Darrow $1 million for this, but he was actually only paid 70000 Due to inflation, though, this would be about a million dollars today. So a lot of money. So that's a lot. <laughs> Daryl spoke for 12 hours at the sentencing. What? 
Just him? A monologue for 12 I hours? I think so. Many oh people call this his masterful plea, and it is overall accepted that this was the best speech of his career. Kevin Spacey actually portrayed Darrow in the movie appropriately titled Darrow about, you guessed it, Clarence Darrow. <laughs> you can find clips of him on YouTube doing this speech. It's pretty good. I obviously will not be quoting all of it for time's sake, but here is a little taste. And I probably picked too big of a quote, but I, this is just like kind of what the gist was. So here we go. <clears throat> Why did they kill little Bobby Franks? Not for money, not for spite, not for hate. They killed him as they might kill a spider or a fly for the experience. They killed him because they were made that way. Because somewhere in the infinite processes that go on to the making up of the boy or the man, something slipped. And those unfortunate lads sit here, hated, despised outcasts with the community shouting for their blood. Mr. Savage, with the immaturity of youth and inexperience, says that if we hang them, there will be no more killing. This world has been one long slaughterhouse from the beginning until today. And killing goes on and on and on and will forever. Why not read something? Why not study something? Why not think instead of blindly shouting for death? Kill them. Will that prevent other senseless boys or other vicious men or vicious women from killing? No. It will simply call upon every weak-minded person to do as they have done. I know how easy it is to talk about mothers when you want to do something cruel, but I am thinking of the others too. I know that any mother might be the mother of little Bobby Franks, who left his home and went to school and never came back. I know that any mother might be the mother of Richard Loeb and Nathan Leopold, just the same. The trouble is this, that if she is the mother of a Nathan Leopold or of a Richard Loeb, she has to ask herself the question, how come my children came to be what they are? From what ancestry did they get this strain? How far removed was the poison that destroyed their lives? Was I the bearer of the seed that brings them to death? Any mother might be the mother of any of them, but these two are the victims. Yeah. Wow. So, Darrow's I don't think I necessarily agree that they are victims, but it was it I teetered on the thought of it for a second. It's oh was yeah. so well well written. It was so well written. Mm -hmm. I just Darrow wow. stood against capital punishment and was all for restorative justice, which I feel like we often stand behind as well on the podcast. Because rehabilitation is the goal. So snaps for Darrow for that. And that a lot of his a lot of his uh, work throughout the years of his career were based on um, not being for the death penalty. He has a very fair point that killing these two won't stop more killings from happening. So you're just adding right, exactly. to the body count at this point. Although I will say at some points on our podcast, we have snapped for capital punishment. Um, but those guys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> talking about. At this point, I think they're 18 and 19 years old when this is happening. Talking about giving somebody mm -hmm. like that the death penalty is like kind of a lot. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, I still think that some kids that are incarcerated should be given another chance. Right. Um, especially should be let out if it's just because they haven't done mm -hmm. their homework. But <laughs> that's for another day. So <laughs> Darrow's speech actually did work and the boys were not sentenced to death. Instead, both were sentenced to life plus 99 years for the kidnapping and murder of Bobby Franks. I like the precaution yeah. of the 99 years, you know, mm -hmm. like just in case. 
In prison at first, Leopold and Loeb were kept apart, but eventually they were placed in the same prison and were able to together expand the prison school system, developing a curriculum for junior high and high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they did something good. Yeah. On January 28th of 1936, Loeb was murdered by another inmate named James Day with a razor. Day claimed that Loeb attacked him first, but Day had no wounds to corroborate this story. Loeb's body, however, had sustained more than 50 wounds from the attack. So it was pretty brutal. Yeah. It has been claimed that there may have been a sexual motive behind this attack. And I think Day first said that Loeb tried to like have sex with him. And so that's why he attacked him. But it's actually accepted that Day had been the one to make a move on Loeb. And when Loeb denied him, he got mad. Either or. I can see happening, I guess. Again, yeah. it's a question of mm, yeah. either way, Loeb died, so I don't know that it matters what <laughs> what actually happened before that. Yeah. Uh, it's sad though. It seems like he was actually trying to do some good for maybe to repent. Probably yeah. not, just probably cuz they wanted school, but like mm. you know, or they wanted something to do. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, it's a good thing to do if you just wanted something to do with your time. Yeah, exactly. So Leopold became depressed after Loeb's death, but continued to be productive in prison. He wrote his autobiography, which he titled Life Plus 99. That's a really good book title. (laughs) I know. Um, And he wrote this in an attempt to win parole, which he actually did. Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, mean, (laughs) still a murderer, but... Yeah. So... Leopold was released in March of 1958 and he attempted to establish the Leopold Foundation, which would have been funded by proceeds from his book. And his foundation's goal would have been, quote, to aid emotionally disturbed or delinquent youths. Really good idea. However, his attempt was actually denied because it violated the terms of his parole. I'm not really sure the details of this, but they didn't let him open the foundation. That's a... I wonder what violated it, like yeah. starting a foundation or working with troubled youth or. It might have been the second one. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I guess I could see how working with troubled youths could be something. But how would that have already been in his parole? Yeah, I don't know. Were they expecting him to do that? I, no idea. I don't know. It's that's sad because it was a really good idea. Mm hmm. So Leopold ended up moving to Puerto Rico and joining the Brethren Service Commission as a medical technician at a hospital. He wrote, quote, to me, the Brethren Service Commission offered the job, the home and the sponsorship without which a man cannot be paroled. But it gave me so much more than that. The companionship, the acceptance, the love, which would have rendered a violation of parole almost impossible. Wow. So this is really a story of how rehabilitation can work. Yeah. Leopold actually ended up getting married, earning his master's degree, and publishing works about birds traveling throughout Puerto Rico to study different species. Wow. Yeah. So this, in my eyes, is a way that the system worked and could work. Didn't work for Loeb, but did work for Leopold. Loeb, it might have worked for Loeb had he not been murdered, right. but that one's not his fault. Right. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously that's, yeah, but, but that's another did. way the system can fail you is puts right. you. Right, it doesn't protect you. Right. 
On August 29th, 1971, at the age of 66, Leopold died from complications with diabetes. And he donated his corneas to science. Oh. Also nice. Yeah. So I want to leave you with another quote from Darrow because I think it will tie this up quite well. Um, Darrow, I guess, was known to say if somebody made a mistake, he would say, hell, that's why they make erasers. I love that. Yeah. Um, wow, so, that was a roller coaster of a case. I hated them, and then I was rooting for them, and then they. Wow. So, I, what do you think? Did Leopold and Loeb just make a mistake? Can murderers be rehabilitated? Let us know. Yeah, send us an email at deaddrunkpot at gmail.com. If you tried the drink and you liked it, if you tried the drink and you didn't like it, we would love to drink with you and discuss our drinks with you on Instagram at deaddrunkcrime. Or you can tweet at us. At Dead Drunk Crime. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Facebook, which is a really fun platform. And now we have a discussion group where you can talk to us about our drinks or our cases or just share memes with us. Because yes. I, I love memes and I'm just at a shortage of them. So, yeah, our page is Dead Drunk at True Crime Podcast. If you want to join the discussion board, it's called Dead Drunk Discussions. So I hope to talk to you there. Yeah. Patreon. We also have a Patreon, you're right. Um. <laughs> Patreon.com slash dead drunk. Join us there for Israel Keys. And at some point, documentaries. Yes, but we still right now, for- it's just Keys. And honestly, yes. that's a pretty good focus, um, I'll say. But, and then on our website yeah, it's at. Cool. It's very fun. <laughs> DeadDrunkPodcast.com. Where you can find the drink recipes written down in blog posts for all of our regular episodes and spooky shooters which we are continuing with our second one probably saturday yes and we're gonna switch to saturdays because alliteration is our favorite spooky (laughs) shooter saturdays see doesn't that just roll off the tongue in a really long not rolly fashion (laughs) so (laughs) and merch is also in the show notes um i'm going to try to see after i after we stop recording i'm gonna see because i'm pretty sure that there is an option for us to do dead drunk face masks on spreadshirt yes oh i'm gonna get my dead drunk face mask as soon as i can right my mom's like i'm gonna buy 20 and give them to all my friends (laughs) wow that's amazing yeah so i think i have to set that up but we should be able to roll that out um yeah and if you want dead drunk merch face masks are really good for us and for you for your safety maybe i'll see if i can upload like another like another design or something i don't know we're gonna work on it in the future but for right now i have a chaser for you and i have compiled a list of quotes um and i'm entitling this chaser darrow or the office because you're going shelby's gonna have to tell me if she thinks that the quote is from Clarence Darrow or a character from The Office. Yes! Let's do it. Okay, the first one. The purpose of life is living. Men and women should get the most they can out of their lives. Darrow. Yes, good job. Yeah. Thought I'd start with an easy one. All right, next one. I'm an early bird and a night owl, so I'm wise and I have worms. The Office. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's Michael. Okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. Next one. When I was a boy, I was told that anybody could become president. Now I'm beginning to believe it. 
The Office. No, that's Darrow. Whoa. Yeah. Did he just recently say that? or? <laughs> no. He died in 1938. Isn't that crazy? Oh, right. Obviously, he couldn't have recently said that. I completely forgot our time period. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It. Maybe that's why I'm so tired all the time. I just feel like we've been doing the same stupid shit over and over again in mm-hmm. America. Like, do we want this idiot or this idiot? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Anywho. Um, next one. You know a human can go on living for several hours after being decapitated. The office. Yeah, it's Creed. <laughs> I was thinking it's either Dwight or Creed. I don't know who it is, but. <laughs> yeah. Right. Was that in the episode where they have the CPR dummy? I don't even know, to be honest. I just <laughs> went to <laughs> like a list of Creed quotes and plucked that one. Okay. All right. Next one. History repeats itself. That's one of the things wrong with history. Is that the office? No, it's Darrow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. It almost sounded stupid the way it was worded. Yeah. That's one of the things wrong with history. But it's right. It just sounds Mm -hmm. (laughs) like something stupid that somebody stupid on the office would say. Yeah. Next one. God, this is so sad. This is the smallest amount of power I've ever seen go to someone's head. Oh, that's got to be the office. Yeah, it's Jim. <laughs> Damn it. I thought that one might get you. <laughs> is it Dwight? He's talking about Dwight? No, it's, oh, yeah, I think so. I have no idea. I was just imagining Dwight getting any position in the office. <laughs> Next one. Some of you say religion makes people happy. So does laughing gas. So does whiskey. I want to say Darrow. It's Darrow. It is? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yep. <laughs> He's, every time I hear something, I'm like, that sounds kind of dumb. It's right, but it's dumb <laughs> <laughs> sounding. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> Next one. No, don't call me a hero. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Those are the real heroes. Is that the office? Yeah, it's Dwight. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Some of these Darrow quotes that I'm hearing, though, I'm like, why are these not on shirts? Yeah, right. Embroidered onto hats. Like, I I would love. I will design Darrow them. clothing line. I'm going to design them. <laughs> Under the dead drunk label now, you can find Darrow clothing line. Clarence <laughs> Darrow clothing. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, I have two more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have this thing about men cutting or threatening to cut my throat. Don't try to cut my throat. <laughs> is it the office? Yeah, it's Meredith. Oh, of course it is. (laughs) All right. And last one. I don't believe in God because I don't believe in Mother Goose. Uh, Is that Darrow? Yeah, Clarence Darrow. (laughs) That one. I want that one on a shirt with a goose picture next to it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was our game. That was a lot this of This guy fun. was a quote <laughs> machine, I feel like. <laughs> I love it. I really think if 
if somebody's better at shirts than we are, then you do it. But if we get to it first, screw you. Clarence Darrow clothing line with his quotes on it. And I don't know if he has relatives, I guess that'll be an issue. But yeah, the new CDC Clarence Darrow clothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the logo. It's similar to the CDC logo, but it's not really it. We're going to get a cease and desist one of these days. Oh. All right. Bye, Mom. That's okay. I'm now going under the name Maureen Gunderson, oh. <laughs> so we're fine. I'm, uh, I'm, what's his name? Mar- Marty Dumbass Ballard? Yeah. Yeah. Was it Martin? Morton. Morton D. Ballard. That's me. All right. Bye, Mort. <laughs> bye from Maureen. <laughs>